0: Welcome to Are We There Yet? Transport into the Future. This is a series of programs that look at current issues and developments and what they mean for the transport we need, we want and what we can supply in the future. These programs are written and presented by David Brown.
1: The Women's World Car of the Year Award has just been announced. The judging panel was 50 women motoring journalists from around the world. Two were from Australia, Liz Swanton and Nadine Armstrong. Nadine joins us on the line today. G'day, Nadine.
0: Hey, David. How are you? Thanks for having me.
1: I'm very well. Now, you're the consumer editor for carsales.com.au, or you're on that editorial team. What sort of issues does that involve?
0: Um, yeah, I've been with the car sales team for about eight years now, and um, I guess it involves anything when you think about, you know, buying, selling, owning a car, and it's trying to make sure that we have a just a more consumer sort of lens on things. I think, um, you know, not everybody thinks the way motoring journalists do around, you know, kilowatts and newton meters and, you know, zero to 100 times. So, we, we look at, um, you know, practical matters around space and amenity. Um, people buy cars around their lifestyles and life stages, don't we? So, You know, and that can change at the drop of a hat these days. Um, depending on whether you have a job with one or five children, uh, I think I think you'll understand that dilemma. Uh, The car that you want may not be the one you need at the time.
1: That diversity, particularly with a changing world, COVID has been an immense change in a very short time. To be able to have that flexibility and understanding of the complex or varied issues of which people get involved with their motor vehicle.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, something we found during the past 12 months, um, you know, the car sales readership has, has been excellent and people have actually been consuming it. You know, people are, um, you know, have their phone in their hand all the time and also people have been at home on their screens. So we were able to, um, deliver a lot of advice related stories as well. Um, again, the, you know, the things that people don't always think about, about maintaining your car or about, or even little things around, you know, uh, safety checks that you should do before you go you know we've got easter holidays coming up the kind of things that families should be doing you know you know, check your tire pressures check your spare tire have you have you got a racv membership and so on so um yeah there are a lot of uh, things to think about in owning a car not just sort of getting from a to b we've
1: lost the regularity of that i try to think about doing it every time i get a credit card bill or something Did it it becomes a trigger. Uh, Cars are much easier to hop into and forget about these days.
0: Yeah, that's a great process. If you can sort of have a a cycle in which you do it, whether it's every month or yeah, you know, depending on how often you actually go and fill up your car, or mm. it, it is one of those things that if you can just work it into a, a regular routine and it just becomes like that and you, and you know it is something you do, and tire pressures, as we know, can significantly change the way your car handles and how it operates in a safety maneuver. So mm. you know it is a really important factor that I, I know a lot of people, a lot of people that drive all the time just don't do.
1: Only to show diversity, you have a passion for fashion and design, but you have sought the adrenaline rush of motorbike riding. I think you've even owned a Harley Davidson.
0: I have. I have. I, um, I was lucky enough to, uh, we had a holiday house in the bush when I was growing up, so we had you know, dirt bikes from a young age, and we had a little old doom buggy, and... So yeah, there's always been the, the two wheels have always been quite a passion of mine. I think they took backseat when I sort of got a bit older and felt a little less invincible, I think. Um, and then kids also, you know, a bit of a handbrake on some of those kind of activities. So I don't even own a motorbike at the moment, but, um, yeah, you know what I would love? I would love one of those really beautiful cafe races, like a, you know, Honda Brat type thing. That's that's a bit of a dream one day, but again, again, the children seem to be sucking all of my uh, my funds elsewhere at the moment.
1: <laughs> Did your Harley experience give you street cred in becoming a motoring journalist?
0: Um, oh, that that was way before I was uh, in the, in the motoring journalism world. So that was when I was um much younger. So, uh, but I'm sure I could pull it out if I needed to impress someone. Hey,
1: in a way, I hope you don't have to impress those uh uh, with that regard but it is a lovely example of diversity and i think the word is clearly diversity uh in this regard do you think road tests are evolving that they're changing a lot now
0: yeah absolutely i i think you know we always try and test cars and and really keep in mind you know their intended purpose so you know if you're testing a a 911 you're probably going to focus on you know handling dynamics and you know naught to 100 times whereas if you're in a Kia Sorento it's going to be a, a very different proposition it's going to be about thumbs on seats and safety and you know family friendly amenity so yeah I think um, particularly at car sales we have a, a really good focus on really understanding you know who the buyer is and, and then you actually you know, speak to that market.
1: Yes I once read a road test that talked about Toyota Camry that had understeer problems and on sweeping corners at 180 kilometres an hour, I thought perhaps that's not really aiming at the market.
0: No, no, unless it was a you know a taxi driver under under the pump. I'm not really sure who, <laughs> who, who would be driving a Camry in that way. But yeah,
1: <laughs> I hadn't thought of the taxi driver. Now, in one way, the Women's World Car of the Year awards, uh, which was a combination of many views, not mm. I'm not just saying that they were your absolute choices, but they did tend to choose cars which you would expect from more traditional testosterone your male journalists is it hard to show diversity in these awards
0: no i don't think so i think it's it's funny when you think about a women's world car of the year it's you know we're 50 judges and from 38 countries and At the end of the day, we're all looking at very similar things. So we look at similar judging criteria as any car award would, whether it's price and practicality, whether it's, you know, safety and technology, comfort and driving dynamics. So I think, you know, all of the good cars are really always going to rise to the top, no matter who is judging them. I think
1: there are developing trends. So there was no sort of hybrid there. There's a, a whole range of vehicles that are becoming interesting as well there was certainly an electric vehicle but that was in the electric vehicle class do you think that those future directions may well come into vehicles that we choose not just for where they are now but where we're heading
0: yeah absolutely I suspect that this time next year we'll be looking at a very different list of contenders as well I suspect you know, as you move forward, things like, you know, emissions and, you know, even, you know, manufacturers' carbon footprints may even play a part in the cars that we decide to put forward. So, as, as you'd know, it's really, really difficult to come up with a list of cars that, um, translate across that many countries, you yes. know, for a start, whether or not they're even on sale in a certain amount of countries, you know, they're called different things. Our winner, which was the Land Rover Defender, for example, you know, in the US, it's considered a medium SUV because they have uh, such a broad you know, set of SUVs over there. It, it is smaller compared to some <laughs> of the other SUVs they have there. And, you know, whereas here it's large and, and then you look at the European countries where the Defender actually just really doesn't translate at all over there. They're like, it's way too big. Who would drive this in the city? So, you know, it's a really tricky test of sort of, you know, Hmm. It's, you know, 50 um, judges trying to come to a decision on these things. So, But that's where all the different categories come in and, you know, and, and the voting system sort of weeds all of that out.
1: Of its very nature, the, uh, an average uh, figure across the board. I mean, the youth that was chosen, I won't mean, say you, that was chosen, of course, was the Ford F-150, a colleague of mine. Noted, of course, that the bonnet is one point three meters in the air, and is hardly an urban car if you can't see a young <laughs> child in front of you. It's yeah. it, the, these sorts of issues, but perhaps it gives us a chance to discuss them as well, and that's the important point.
0: Yeah, and I think you know the ability to talk to you know people from all of these different countries, it really is a, sort of a great leveler and an eye opener. I think um, Australians are mad for SUVs, and it, it is fitting with our lifestyle here. Mm. But again, you know, in your Europe, smaller European countries and so on, you know, it, it's not that case. You know, and you look at you know driving around France in a Defender, you know, through the streets of Paris. Can you imagine that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'd prepared to give it a go just to uh, show.
0: <laughs> you certainly get noticed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the notion of uh, women involved in cars. I much prefer the word diversity, which would be crazy not to include half the population. I think that's. The real point about it, uh, many years ago, Carla Zampati, the fashion person, put her uh, stamp on a little Ford laser, and it included things like carpet that could cope with stiletto heels. Yes. I think they have to be a little careful there, but it does raise a broader point about the whole idea of what footwear you're wearing. And so, not just to turn it into something, if you pardon the expression, that... Some may interpret as being girly. It's it's being the fact that there are different situations that sometimes we gloss over.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think I think the um yeah, we have evolved a lot from from the Carlos and Patty, um version of a car, but yeah, yes, there are different things that women would focus on in a car, and I think some of those more practical. I, I, I guess you know, and it's not only women. I, I think you look at the the role that we play in our family. So if whether it's the dad or the mum who's sort of staying home and doing the, the school run or the, you know, soccer carpooling, you know, we all focus on the different things that we need. So I actually think it's becoming less and less about gender, even though, you know, sort of intuitively we do look at different things, you know, whether it's a, a different eye for detail, yeah, I still absolutely believe, yes, we, we do think a little bit differently in that regard.
1: Yeah, I, again, I, I think the word is diversity more than anything, uh, and I'm not trying to undermine in any way, the number of uh, women that are involved. An example was a mate of mine looked at some carpet and hated it because it had a fleck in it, and he was told by another person who happened to be a woman that, well, actually it doesn't show the dirt as much. Yeah. I interviewed the bloke who invented Cambrook kettles and things and asked him what sort of car he would design, and he said I'd make it easy to clean.
0: Yep. Yeah,
1: It's not as if we're just trying to zero in on something. We're merely trying to broaden the base on which we make a decision.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, again, that harks back to where, where you're at in your life stage in your lifestyle. It's um, I, I reviewed a car recently, a Lexus, that has the most beautiful, soft cream leather, which I love. And if I didn't have children, I would have it in a heartbeat. <laughs> But even sitting in the front seat writing notes, I was scared that I was going to draw on the, the leather. It's just one of those things that's like very beautiful you know, in isolation, but when you sort of take it out of that and put it into the real-world setting, hmm. it's, it's hard for some people to justify. So.
1: Was it hard to break into 15 years ago into the, the market? And have you seen a change in motoring journalism over that time?
0: I, th- I think I have. I, I started in print with uh, The Age in, in Melbourne with the drive team there. And um, first of all, it was print and it was a very different world. It wasn't, everything wasn't online. And, you know, it was, you'd wait for, I think it was Tuesdays and Thursdays our drive section came out. So you'd kind of wait to, to read the news. And it was a very different way of breaking news then that sort of, and a different way of writing stories. So absolutely, I think it's changed a lot. I think the way we consume, obviously, is online and, and also the world of video these days. So I, I think most stories, most cars that I would review these days is always accompanied by a, a video. So in some instances, people are video first, and if they're interested, then they'll read the words. So in in that regard, it has changed significantly. The, and the world of social media as well. I think we see a lot of people being influenced by what they're seeing you know, on their Snapchat, Instagram TikTok and every other platform you can think of.
1: You personally uh, have to battle the difference between making an outrageous comment that will get you clicks versus about trying to get people to be, if I may say, more rational in their approach. Is that a balance that you have to confront?
0: Um, not really. I, I think we, we would always steer away from the clickbaity type of stories. I mean, you know, of course, there there are some stories just begging for that kind of, and, and there are some that it's suitable if you're doing a light-hearted story about you know five air fresheners to make your car smell better. Of course, you can <laughs> can be a little more flippant around that kind of stuff. But if you're talking about you know ANCAP ratings and safety issues, then
1: yeah,
0: you know, that in itself is the headline, and that that should be what people are focusing on, though. So.
1: Well, the recent debate about a zero score on ANCAP raises the broader issue that it depends on what year the test was done in. Yeah. And that's the consumer message that is perhaps the strongest one that we should put out there.
0: Yeah, it's very tricky, and and I'm sure you get a lot of questions as well. I get people asking, you know, what car should I buy, and in particular what car should I be buying for my child, you know, the 18-, 19-year-olds that are... Just hitting the road, and it's a it's a really tricky and scary scenario because the car that they want is probably not going to be the safest car. I'd always recommend buy the the newest and the safest car you can because it will have the best safety and driver assist technology, and you know, and it's something that. Where where a parent has a say in the purchase, it's great because that's usually where they'll um, try and steer the the children, but it's it's a really tricky one. And Hmm. the ratings changing again um, and the headlines that we're seeing doesn't make it easy for the average consumer to understand Hmm. and to think that there are cars there that are sort of um, getting through on some loopholes and so forth. Again, it makes it really tricky for consumers, so I think it's always something that you should do your research on.
1: Do you think then that research is making – our role more of not telling people what they should do but showing them what the parameters are and letting people then make their own decisions. Perhaps it should have always been that. But uh, with things available, I can walk into a showroom now with uh, my phone clicked on the road test of that. Is, is showing them the dimensions the important part that we've moved to?
0: Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, looking at a car's pros and cons and, you know, who will this appeal to and who will this not appeal to are the, are the kind of things where you can really add some value, particularly as a motoring journalist when you're getting in and out of cars and you're able to do that back to back testing, which a lot of people buying a car don't have the privilege of sort of, you know, back to back testing. But, um, you know, people are, more tech-savvy and more informed these days than ever before. They walk into a dealership and usually it's, you know, that dealership, the first one they go into is where they will buy the car. And, you know, they might shop around one or two others, but, you know, studies suggest that people usually hone in on the car they want and that's the one they go back to, So, which does sort of remove a little bit of the pressure from the dealership. But then the flip side to that is, you know, that that person coming in, this is your first first and last chance to, to get that deal, to be honest. so. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, the internet works in our favour and may relieve a salesperson a little bit from that initial sort of education piece, but buyers are much more savvy and much more well-informed these days, so they're almost all but made their decision before they walk in.
1: That education bit is that the, the modern, particularly the interface, the infotainment, is really one that takes a lot to get used to. When when I was young, that does reflect some time ago. <laughs> you adjusted the mirrors and you adjusted the seat. Now you almost if you get into a new car, do you find that one week unfamiliarity syndrome that road testers get there's almost not enough time to be able to to learn all its nuances.
0: Yeah, I think I think there's something to be said because we do always have to sort of sit back and think, well, any anyone that takes ownership of a new car would usually get that sort of handover opportunity and someone would take them through their technology and how it all works or they may have a mate that has the same make and model who could do that. But um, we kind of jump in and out of cars and I, I guess we focus a little bit on you know how intuitive things are, which is always a really good sign of well-executed vehicle, I think. So if you've really got to work hard to figure something out, I think something's wrong. Um, then, you know, we all have our own little foibles and, you know, preferences of whether we like, you know, touchscreens or, you know, dial, dial, um, you know, Mazda's dial-up pad or doing, you know, Lexus's haptic touchpad, which I'm averse to. So there are always sort of little um, quirks that will lead us to, to one vehicle or another.
1: I think it is showing that it's not just our one-off opinion now but more what it is in compared to the market. Nadine, this has been lovely and I appreciate your time. Thank you very much.
0: You are so welcome, David.
1: And that's Nadine Armstrong, who is the consumer editor for carsales.com.au but is also one of the women who is on the judging panel of the Women's World Car of the Year Award.
0: Are we there yet? Transport into the Future is produced by Driven Media. You can send comments or suggestions to feedback at drivenmedia.com.au